Good morning, Chapel Hill. I'm so glad to see some people out here this morning. Good morning, balcony dwellers. Having fun up there? Don't get used to it. (laughs) If I start coughing during my sermon, relax. I went to the doctor. It's not the nasty bug. It's just a bit of a bug. So anyway, don't freak out. But we have been living in an interesting time these last couple of weeks, haven't we? Uh, and we realize we're, we're, we're actually not just fighting against a, a, a really a nasty bug. We're fighting against something that's even more frightening, and that is fear, aren't we? It's a battle against fear, and we watch what's happening out in our community. We watch what's happening in the world. We watch what's happening in Costco. People are going crazy. How much toilet paper do you really need, you know? So one of the things that the Christian community has always tried to do is find a balance between faith and prudence, being wise but being courageous. And we're going to be the people that rise up and respond in a different way. We're going to be the people that share instead of hoard. We're going to be the people that believe instead of fear. That's what we're going to be because we serve a a Savior who is Lord of all. And uh, so that's where we're going to be. And I'm glad that we're all able to come together around God's Word, and there are some people who prudently decided to stay home because they're not well, and so I'm glad that they can share in this worship time through our uh, video. Uh, it's really pretty cool what, what that is going to open up for us. So uh, anyway, glad to have you here. Let's uh, ask God's uh, blessing upon our time because we're going to be talking about our future as a church, okay? Lord, we, uh, we do thank you for the, the privilege of gathering here together, and I thank you for these people who said we're, we're going to come to God's house and we're going to hear to God's word and we're going to worship this Lord that we love. So uh, may your blessing be upon us. May your spirit speak through me and into our hearts. And all of these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I wish I had good vision. I don't. I, if I take this off, I, I can't even see your face. I wouldn't know who's sitting right out there. I tried to resolve this one time. I went and, uh, I went and tried to get LASIK. In fact, I went twice. I thought maybe they got it wrong the first time. And they told me I was not a candidate for LASIK because I had, quote, saggy corneas, unquote. No one wants the adjective saggy (laughs) describing any part of their body. Am I right? None of you would like it. I didn't like it. It was very hurtful. But in this year of the Lord, 2020, it seemed a perfect time for us to talk about our vision as a church. And truthfully, I think our vision got a little blurry in recent years. Uh, But through some hard work and a lot of prayer, our elders have really worked to refine and to refocus us. And I'm excited to share that with you. So over the next five weeks, we're going to uh, tell you about the future that we believe God has laid before our church, and we're going to call it 2020 Vision. Okay? 2020 Vision. Um, in the past few weeks, we've been talking about getting, back, getting into the game, and by that we've been meaning, of course, that every single believer here, every person has been gifted and called by God to be a part of the work that God wants to do. Well, in these coming weeks, it's a chance for us to say, well, now what is the game? If, if, we, if we believe what you said, that we're supposed to be in the game, what is the game exactly? And our starting point is going to be our, our mission, our mission statement, The mission statement is a way of answering the question, why do we exist? 
It's a worthwhile question. Why does Chapel Hill exist? There are a lot of great churches in this community. Why one more? Why Chapel? What is our unique calling and purpose from God here in this part of His world? For many years, we had a mission statement. For more than 20 years, our mission statement was working together to present everyone mature in Christ. How many remember that mission statement? A bunch of you do. That's drawn right out of Paul's teaching, his, his letter to the Colossians, 128. And for a long time, it was a really a good mission for us. We were growing so fast that we were concerned that we were going to be about a mile wide and an inch deep. And so we wanted to make sure that every person who came to Christ through our ministry would be rooted, would, would, be, would develop in their faith, would mature in their faith. And in a way, we were successful. We did a couple of all-church surveys, and you reported back to us indicators that said you were indeed very mature followers of Jesus. You studied the Bible a lot. You knew the Bible well. You were involved in, in your small groups, in your life groups. You were involved in service. You were generous people. And all of these are good things, and they are indeed markers of Christian maturity. But the more that we looked at what was going on in our church, we realized that there was one area in which we were not excelling at all. And that was the area of evangelism. Evangelism is kind of a nasty word sometimes, but it's such a wonderful word in the Greek. It just means the sharing of good news. And evangelism is just us being willing and excited to share the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And the fact is, we reached a season in our life when we were not doing very well at sharing our faith, our love of God, of love of Jesus with our unchurched friends and our unsaved friends. We just weren't doing it very well. In fact, we discovered that on any given weekend, we had less than 3% of our gathered community that would describe themselves as non-believers or, or unchurched people. 3%. That's not even sustainable for a church just because of turnover. And, and, and in fact, we were losing ground. After a kind of a rocket ship growth in the early years of our, of our ministry, for, the last, for about a 10-year period, we were on a slow decline. Just every year, down, 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 down. At our high point, there were 1,700 people that were showing up in here on a, on a weekend. And three years ago, at our low point, we were often below 1,000. And if you're cynical, you might say, well, there you go again. All you big church pastors want to do is fill your pews. Could I just remind you that every one of those numbers is a soul? Every one of those numbers is a person that is loved by God and has been died for by Jesus. They are precious to the Lord. They ought to be precious to us. These are real people who matter to God, and they were suddenly not showing up. And we, we were wondering, what is going on? Part of it is a trend in, in the country. I mean, nationally and frankly around really many parts of the world, there's just a, a, a drop in attendance. People are just not going to church anymore. They just don't find it that important. But we thought it was more than just the cultural headwinds that we were fighting against. We, we felt that there were some internal things that we had to come to grips with. And it was some hard work, some hard self-reflection. But we came to realize that as a church, Chapel Hill, we had turned inward. We had turned increasingly inward. We enjoyed each other's company. We loved each other. We loved our pew mates. We loved our style of worship. We loved the programs that we were offering. We were content. We were happy. We liked church 
the way it was. And we didn't have much of an appetite for inviting outsiders in and the disruption that that would provide. And if you question me on that, just ask when was the last time that you invited someone to come to church? So two years ago, the session made a decision. We decided we were going to evaluate everything that we do with an eye to becoming a more welcoming church to the outsider. Now, obviously, we needed to continue to, and we wanted to continue to minister to the flock that the Lord has already given to us. That's part of our calling is to care for our sheep. But we, but we to put it bluntly, had reached a point of a seeming indifference to the fact that there are thousands of people around our building, thousands, who are going to spend eternity without God because they don't know who Jesus is. The Jesus that we know, the Jesus who has saved us, they don't know him. And we had a high percentage of self-described mature people whose, but whose passion for reaching the lost had begun to cool. But we discovered that the embers were not dead And we discovered it in a most remarkable way. Three years ago, we launched something called Beyond These Walls. Many of you know what that was. It was a capital campaign to eliminate all of our debt. And then when we were done with that, we were going to take the money that was going to the bank and spend it outside of our walls. We said, we have enough. We want to give away to our community and to our region in ways that we have never done before. And we were told, you're not going to raise money for that kind of a vision. People don't want to raise money to retire debt. They couldn't have been more wrong. Something lit a fire in all of you. You responded to this idea of giving ourselves away as never before in a record-setting fashion. It was the most successful campaign that we had ever done. In July, we're going to celebrate the elimination of every last dollar of debt, and we're going to begin to plow hundreds of thousands of dollars every year into our community and into our region. And when we saw the response that this congregation had to that kind of a vision, we knew that we had tapped into the evangelistic heart that is the best part of who we are as a church. And so encouraged by that, we began to do some painful reevaluation of everything we did The truth is, over 30 years, we have accumulated a lot of stuff. You add more and more programs, more and more staff, more and more of everything. And we began to do a painful reevaluation of everything that we were doing. And one of the things it was going to mean was change. And everybody loves change, right? We all love change. We live for it. Listen, I, I met with a group of people who were... They were concerned about all the the change that they were uh, hearing about. And I said, let me tell you something. I've been at this church longer than just about any of you. Everything that we're about to change has my fingerprints on it. So I was offended way before you had a chance to be offended. Could I just say that? My ox was gored before your ox was gored. It was going to mean change, but, but growth means change. Life means change. It meant giving up or pausing some beloved programs so that we could reallocate resources to more strategic opportunities to reach the unsaved for Christ. It meant asking you to make more room in your pews, to make more room in your hearts, to make more room in your circles after service. It meant us learning as a church what it means to be better neighbors in in a new way. 
And may I just tell you that all of that taken together, and I don't know what the magic sauce is except that it was the Holy Spirit because all of that taken together has begun to do something in our midst. We are in the process of a turnaround. Over the last two years after unceasing decline, over the last two years, we have seen a 21% increase in our worship attendance. And last year we had a 100 and Oh, by the way, that, that increase in the attendance, we were told by one consultant that that is almost unheard of for a church our size with a pastor my age. In your face, dude, right? I'm going to sue him. Last year, we had 194 people who professed faith in Jesus for the first time. That's the most that we've ever had before. God is doing an incredible work of renewal and transformation in the life of this congregation, and it's so exciting, and I'm so grateful for it. I hope you are too. And in this process of self-examination, we came to realize something else. Our mission statement didn't work anymore. Working together to present everyone mature in Christ. It might have worked at one time. It didn't work anymore because we found ourselves either ignoring it or working around it or redefining it. And so we knew that it was time for a change. So then the question was, well, then what is our mission as a church? If you were to take a piece of paper out right now, what would, what would you say would be the, the mission of the church? Something that's short and punchy and memorable and that captures the reason that we exist as a congregation. How do you decide something like that? So what we decided to do was go back to the teachings of Jesus. And we went particularly to the teachings of Jesus where it, it was one of those moments where he said, listen, if you're going to listen to anything I say, I want you to listen to this. Because he had those moments. Now, everything Jesus said was worth listening to, but there were moments when he said, really pay attention here. It was like he's drawing a highlighter through the scripture text. We called these the superlatives. It's a big word, but superlative is just kind of an extreme in comparison. So if we say something's the largest or the smallest or the prettiest or the best, those are superlatives. We ask ourselves, where were those moments when Jesus spoke in superlative terms when he said, this is really, really important for you? And we identified three of them. The greatest commandment, the new commandment, and the great commission. Do you hear the superlatives there? The greatest, the new, the great. And we saw, if Jesus saw these teachings in this particular fashion, then maybe we ought to pay closer attention to them. So that's where we started. And I want to take a look at at the the passages where each of those are are presented to us, okay? The greatest commandment, we actually dealt with a lot last year. But I'm going to review it for you because... Jesus said it's the greatest. It's worth paying attention to. It comes in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 and following. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, he said, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what's the greatest commandment this teacher, this lawyer asked Jesus? He was trying to trip him up. 
He was trying to trap him and make him condense all of the teaching of the Old Testament down to one thing. But Jesus steps right up to it. He said, I'll tell you what the greatest commandment is. It's the prayer that you've prayed every morning and every night for all of your life. It's the Shema. Shema means hear. It's the first word in the, in the, in the Hebrew prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus said that is the most important commandment. You're going to love God with everything you have. But he doesn't stop there, does he? Jesus was never backed into a corner. You tell him, you can tell me one thing. He said, I'm not going to tell you one thing. I'm going to tell you two things. Because he said there's another side to this commandment. It's the other side of the coin. This part of it is to love God with everything you have. That's our starting point. But he said then there's a second half to this. And that is you shall love the, your, your neighbor as yourself. You could hardly slip a knife blade in between the two. He said, the first is that you're going to love God with everything you have. And the second is you're going to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. He said, that is the greatest commandment. And everything else, every other law and commandment hangs on these two. Now, if Jesus said something was the greatest, it was the most important, then maybe we ought to pay attention to that, right? As we're trying to think what our mission statement should be, maybe we ought to pay attention to what Jesus said is the most important. We're going to love God passionately. We're going to love our neighbor selflessly. You could have a mission statement right there. That wouldn't be bad. Tuck that one away, though, because we we realize there were a couple of other times that Jesus spoke pretty broadly, pretty grandly. Here's another of his superlatives. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. This is the night that he's going to be arrested. Tomorrow he's going to be crucified. The the disciples are frightened. They're confused. They know something is up. And this is the last shot that Jesus has to teach them before he he goes to his death. And in in that moment, in John chapter 13, we hear something we've never heard Jesus say before. He says, I have a new commandment for you. And you think, that's kind of audacious. Who is it that can write commandments but God? He said, ah. Jesus says, I have a new commandment for you. And here's what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. In all of his teachings, this is the only time that Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Usually he was just reinforcing the old commandments. But in this instance, it was new. I want you to love one another. Why was it new? Because the standard of love was himself. Love one another as I have loved you. And the world had never seen anything like Jesus before. They had never seen this kind of sacrificial, humble, selfless, courageous love. They had never seen it before. So it had to be new because they had never experienced this kind of love. Notice this. This is different from neighbor love. Neighbor love that comes from the greatest commandment, that's one directional. Jesus said, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. As much as you love yourself, you love your neighbor. You don't wait for a response. You don't wait until they behave themselves so that they deserve you to be nice to them. You're not expecting any kind of reciprocity. Jesus says, love your neighbor. As yourself, one directional. But he said, the new commandment, this is mutual. This goes two ways. He said, people are going to recognize that you're the disciples of, of mine. You're my disciples because of the way you love each other. As different as we are, 
as ticked as we can become with each other, as divided as we might be politically, as screwed up as we can be sometimes, he said, you are going to love each other anyhow, and by that the world is going to know that you belong to me. So Jesus says, love God with everything you have, love your neighbor as yourself, love one another like I have loved you. Even there would be a good stopping point. But we thought there's one more, one more teaching of Jesus where he said, pay attention to this. We call it the Great Commission, and it comes in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You'll notice that the first three superlatives are all love. That's God love, neighbor love, brother and sister love. I would suggest to you that this one is love too. This is world love, world love. We call it the Great Commission. This is the last words of Jesus before he ascended back to be with the Father. He could have said anything. He could have repeated anything. He could have reinforced anything that he had taught over the three years. But the words he chose as his parting shot to his disciples were the marching orders for the church. And we might consider it great because these were his last words and the last words of every significant person matter to us. But I think it's also great because of the magnitude, because of the scope of the commission. It is nothing less than a a global mission to the whole world to love the whole world with the gospel of Jesus. So these were the superlatives that we landed on. If you'd been in, the, in that committee, that work, the group that was working, you might have come up with something else. But we said, this is what we're going to focus on. This is what, how we're going to craft our mission statement. And as you'll see in a moment, it's not completely original. But then, anytime the church does something completely original, it's usually heresy. So we don't want to do that. It's, it's not completely original, but we tried to capture the God love, neighbor love, brother and sister love, and world love in one short, easy to remember phrase. Why does Chapel Hill exist? This is the answer that your elders have given to that question. Chapel Hill exists to exalt Jesus, elevate others, and launch disciple makers. Exalt Jesus, elevate others, and launch disciple makers. Uh, there are three parts to the mission statement. Two of them are kind of obvious. One of them might require a little explanation. And I want you to notice the verbs that we have used. Exalt, elevate, and launch. These are all uplifting words. They're, they're kind of a nod to our name. We are Chapel Hill. Jesus said we're going to be a, a church, a city set on a hill. And so we thought we want to use language in our mission statement that, that is a nod to our name and that reminds everyone that reads it of the upward upward, upward call of God in Christ. First of all, we, we exist to exalt Jesus. That's from love God with everything you have, the first part of the great commandment. Love God with everything you have. Exalt Jesus. We didn't want to just say love God. We said we want to make sure that everyone knows that when we say God, we, are, we mean Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Love him with everything you have. Our primary purpose as a church has always been, and pray God it always will be, lifting up the name of Jesus in worship, in our teaching, in our programs, in our relationships. We believe that Jesus alone is the salvation of the world. 
We believe that Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life. We believe that Jesus alone is the one who can deliver us from sin and shame. We believe it is Jesus alone who, by His Spirit, offers us a sense of belonging and purpose and destiny. Our number one part of our mission is always, it's always going to start with the exalting, with the lifting up of Jesus Christ. Exalt Jesus. Then let's drop down to the, the third one. We exist to launch disciple makers. Obviously, that comes from the Great Commission. We believe it is our job to raise up and launch men and women and children out into the world that you might make disciples. This is not something that you just fob off on the the professionals up here. Every single one of us has been called to be a disciple maker for Jesus. And this is going to be the antidote to that inward focus that our elders were concerned about. We are turning ourselves more and more inward. We must never forget that the church is the only organization that exists for the sake of those who are outside our walls and not just inside. So we exalt Jesus and we launch disciple makers. And then there's that one in the middle. Those two are obvious, but there's the other one. Elevate others. One of our elders said, you know, what does that mean? Do you think they're going to understand that? And another elder said, our people are smart. They'll get it. But I do want to talk a little bit about this because this is actually the one that I find most interesting. Elevate others is referring to the the teaching of love where Jesus says you're going to love your neighbors and you're going to love one another. Obviously, we could have used the word love, love others, but it was so, by now, it's so banal. It's been so overused by the culture. No one knows what love means. And anyhow, love in the Bible is an action word. And we thought, what is the word that, that lifts us up and that, and that demonstrates something of, the, of the, the sacrificial serving love of Jesus? And we thought Elevate would, would do that. And we can think of all kinds of ways it does, it does that, but I want to talk about three of them. First of all, Elevate Others speaks to humility. In a culture that encourages us to make more and more of ourselves, the New Testament encourages us to make less of ourselves and more of others. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. It was Jesus who knelt down before the filthy feet of his disciples and washed them. And it was Paul who wrote to the Philippians and said, count others as more important than yourselves. I think this this spirit of Christ-like humility is so essential, particularly for a church like ours. We are well-resourced, high-profile We are easily recognized. It would be so easy to make something of ourselves. So easy to vaunt ourselves and lift ourselves up. And when we remind ourselves that we are called to elevate others, it is a constant reminder to remain humble before the Lord and humble before the world he died to save. So we're going to elevate others. It speaks to humility. There's another way that elevate others speaks to me, and that is it reminds us of our unique call as a church to raise up broken people. We do that in a way that not a lot of churches do. There's a psalm, chapter, the third psalm, in which God is described as the lifter of my head. Have you ever wondered what that word means? What that phrase means, a lifter of my head? After a battle, a soldier would walk around the battlefield, and he would come to every fallen soldier, and he would lift up the head to see if there was any life that remained within him. 
I love that image of a God who comes to us even in our brokenness and lifts our heads, elevates us. And when I think about Celebrate Recovery and Lake Counseling and Titus and Deacon Ministry and all of the other ministries that are focused on that, it makes me proud to to know that we consider it a privilege to lift the heads and the hearts and the hopes of broken people, to remind them of God's love and offer them the new life that is only theirs in Christ. I want to lift up broken people, elevate broken people. So it speaks to humility. It speaks to our call to to minister to the broken people. And thirdly, I hope it speaks of what happens to us when we come together as God's people. When you walk out of here this morning, I hope that you are lifted up, elevated. I hope that we do that for everyone who walks through our doors, that after worship especially, that their, their guilt will be lifted, their hope will be lifted, their hearts will be lifted, their spirits will be lifted. In a world that seeks to put people down, down, down. I want to be the church that lifts people up, up, up. Don't you? So that's our mission. That's the mission that your elders have said. That defines us. Who we are, who we hope to be. Chapel Hill exists to exalt Jesus, to elevate others, and to launch disciple makers. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this without you. Nothing great can be accomplished apart from you. And yet, with you, we can do all things. I pray, Lord, that this is not, that it's more than just aspirational. I pray that even now we're beginning to sense the passion that is captured in these words of our longing to exalt Jesus, our, our longing to elevate other people over ourselves, our longing to to prepare and to launch men and women and children who are going to be disciple makers in their spheres of influence. Lord, this is our prayer. And it is only something that you can do for us. And so Holy Spirit, once again, as we've prayed before, we say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill us with power. Fill us with your gifts. Fill us with your passion and your vision to be the church we believe you've called us to be. For we pray it through our risen Savior.